Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Let the filibustering begin. Welcome to Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Filibuster here on the Nerd Party. It is undeniable that time is relative because 2020 has felt simultaneously like the longest and shortest year, and that time has stood still during lockdown. I was shocked and stunned to find it is already July, which means we are already halfway through the year, but at the same point, time is stretching away from us as the date for reopening cinemas and Tenet seems to get closer and yet further away. Now, 2020 may be a year that many will want to forget, but on today's show, we're designed to look back and bring you our favourite films of the year so far. Well, from a very small pool of films which were released in 2020, anyway. I'm your co-host, Dallas King, and with me, as always, is the Siskel to my Ebert, the Statler to my Waldorf, it's Lee Hutchison. How are you? Yeah, really good. Uh, I realise today it's been four months of working from home and sort of lockdown, so that's a that's a landmark, I guess. When I was sitting there at the start going, I'm going to blitz all these films in a couple of weeks, you know, get kind of get through, and then it's back to normality. Uh, yeah, sorely misjudged. Yeah, we've now been uh, on lockdown and away from cinemas longer than we have been at cinemas in 2020, and yeah, that saddens me. I really want to get back there. But, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, I mean, given the short period of time we were able to get into cinemas, it might be a case that more of the films in our top tens are ones which we've actually seen at home. But I guess we're going to find out, because normally when I do one of these top tens, I might like to stick to a rigid set of rules of films which are only released in the UK in cinemas, you know, during that year, that calendar year. And Lee normally decides to scrap that entire rule and go buy films which he's watched in that year so um it's fair to say that probably a lot of films which are on his 2019 list might be appearing on my 2020 list which means has lee actually watched anything that he's able to put on his list this year i guess we're gonna find out so the rule was basically we're gonna give you our top 10 films we're gonna give you our numbers six to ten in just a list and then we're gonna dive a bit more into our top five and justify why we have chosen those ones so lee are you ready yeah absolutely did you find it difficult to make a list of 10 films which you a have seen and b enjoyed in 2020 it wasn't difficult to make a list of films that i had seen but i I was incredibly handicapped by sort of my decisions so in terms of like my my 2019 list for if people can can remember it would be that it would count if it had like a theatrical release so in terms of say they shoved star wars into the cinema again that doesn't count but if i went to see a film like say um Parasite, for example, had a UK kind of release this year, but it was shown as part of the Screen Unseen season last year at the Odeon, or something like The Lighthouse, which had a UK release 
in um, sort of the London Film Festival, but then had a, a release kind of um, in 2020. So it, that would kind of justify the count for me if it was at festivals or had the opportunity to, to see it. So that was kind of the way my list went. But a lot of my top 25 of last year were probably what many people would class as some of their best films of, of 2020. So that was a that was a bit of a challenge. Yeah, so I mean, at least it'll give us a, a point of uh, difference on these ones because um, I'm not going to give the game away, but I think several will be on my list. So yeah, we shall see. So do you want to run us from your 10 to 6 yeah. of 2020? So I'll do my top 10, but I will also give you some of the caveats that made the top 25 <laughs> in case people wonder why that didn't make it. So in the sort of uh, underneath... Yes. That uh, discussion of, oh, why didn't you include this film? Oh, what, you're mad. What, you might you, you should have seen this one. I say, well, I did see it, but I just didn't think... It. It's all personal taste, folks. You can shout at us on Twitter if you want, but these are the films that we have enjoyed and like best. So exactly. <laughs> so in sort of between 25, between 11 and 25, there's films like Scott Graham's Run, which came out this year, Our Ladies, which showed at sort of the Glasgow Film Festival and it is due to sort of screen later this year. St. Maud, it's kind of was due to be in America this week. It's been sort of delayed till uh, later in the year. The Vast of Nights, a film that I didn't anticipate t- taking the sort of world by storm on Amazon Prime. Ema, the fantastic film that movie picked up this year, those all sort of were popped in and sort of the the second half of my list. But my top ten from last year, so Burning, two thousand and nineteen outright, The Farewell, the same, Marriage Story, the same, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the same. Then we start to get to things like Parasite that counted for last year, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, yeah, that was a another two thousand twenty sort of global release, Waves. That was the same. Her Smell, the only film in the top three to have like, been a genuine out-and-out out 2019 kind of film in the UK. Then we get to Uncut Gems, which came out here um, on Netflix in, I think, February. And the same with The Lighthouse. So, yeah, a lot of big hitters have been ruled out of my best of 2020 so far. Cool. Um, yeah, no, it, it is very difficult. You know, there's... Um, I'm going to put the, the proviso that there's two films which I, I would have put in my top 10 if they had been if they had gotten a full release I saw uh, Promising Young Woman uh, actually Promising a Woman at the Glasgow Film Festival it was a surprise film and it was due to come out in April but obviously that uh, release was cancelled and at the moment it has no subsequent release date and then like you say Saint Maud would easily be in my top 5 of the year first saw it at the London Film Festival, it then screened at the Glasgow Film Festival and was due uh, for a May release, but um, it's been pushed back to October, so it will eventually appear in my top 10 list once it gets released, but those two uh, were just on the uh, the outskirts, but because I'm a, a stickler to the rules, that's why they're just adjacent, film adjacent to the list, I would say. So do you want to give us your 10, 9, 8, 7 and 6? Yeah, so I've gone with at 10, The Assistant, 9, Women Make Film, Eight, Shirley. Seven, The Beastie Boys Story. And at six, The Five Bloods. Nice. Um, Shirley is a film which I have on my iTunes account ready to watch. Um, I really should have actually tried to watch it before this because, yeah, at the moment we're basically because cinemas are closed, I'm counting anything which has received a, you know, I'm breaking my own rules and going by a UK or US cinema or VOD release. So that's what I'm basically having to go. I, I, I just hate being having to do that, but that is the way. I can't get to a cinema. So I've got to make exceptions. But my 10 are 
the personal history of David Copperfield. Um, never, rarely, sometimes, always. The Five Bloods as well. Uh, Weathering with You. And at number six is Scott Graham's Run, which we are huge fans of. And unfortunately, we're unable to bring you the DVD commentary that we were going to do because the <laughs> we were going to watch it on a streaming service and then do a commentary, but it turns out the streaming service did not have subtitles. So we're waiting for Lee to get the DVD, which uh, he won in a competition once they're off furlough and back in the office to send that up to him. And then at some point, hopefully over the next few months, we might be able to bless you with our thoughts of Fast and Furious and Fraserburgh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. It's it's great to know that I've got a prize coming down the, the line from my enjoyment of that film. Physical media for the win. <laughs> it, see, it beats it beats streaming and all that because, you know, it didn't have subtitles. And, you know, not knocking it, but, you know, for a film set in the Brock in the northeast of Scotland where accents are on the strong side, I think subtitles might be necessary in certain parts of the world. <laughs> so, Lee... Are you gonna what what did you pick? What's made your top five of this year? What are you gonna go starting at number five? So I've gone for my number five and it just dropped sort of in the, the UK last year. So I did see it last year, but by default it didn't make the top twenty-five. It had just missed out. And that is Corey Fineland's uh, follow-up to Thoroughbred Bad Education. So it's starring um Hugh Jackman as Dr. Frank Tussain. He's a superintendent of this American high school in Long Island, which is seeing unprecedented success you know, more than anything in the world. I think it's like the fourth ranked best public school in the country under his watch. But a young pupil discovers that everything is not as well as it seems. And this is like a school story kind of distilled down. Like it takes all that we're seeing in the world today, corruption, you know, misuse of public funds and sort of boils it down to sort of this macro school level and it's you know we see fantastic interp- uh, journalism we kind of dive into sort of corruption the politics of it all you know gay rights and drama it's it's one of this sort of film that seems to combine so many different elements and it's one of these films that i think worked out for the best i mean hbo brought up the rights in america Obviously, its relationship here means that it came on to sort of Sky Movies. It was a lot of people going, oh, this film should have got a cinema release, should have got a cinema release. It seems that they managed to, you know, foresee things and cut out the middleman. So, yeah, Bad Education features a fantastic performance from Hugh Jackman in his leading role and probably one of his best kind of performances, I would say. Yeah, no, this is a film which initially I was not, you know, prioritising to see at the London Film Festival. I hadn't seen Thoroughbreds by that point. I finally caught up with it during lockdown on Netflix and was very impressed with that one. But this one, I think I managed to get a free ticket to the subsequent non-gala screening and I was really impressed with it. It was, like you say, it's the, the, one of the great things about this film is it's about, you know, the comeuppance that this guy gets and it's all his own doing because it starts off with, like, you know, like this people interviewing for the school paper and he sort of basically encourages her with her journalism saying don't don't write a puff piece you know write a proper story and basically that causes her to then start digging into the accounts of the school and then discovering all this corruption and stuff like that but I mean like you say this is one of Hugh Jackman's best performances Hugh Jackman I think is a very underrated actor most you know if you were to talk to the large sort of swathe of audiences most people would probably be familiar with him with Wolverine and also sort of great showman so he's 
very much like a superhero or a song and dance man, but you know he's proven in the likes of the Prestige and the Fountain that he can actually and Prisoners as well uh, that he can really act when he needs to. And this is like you say one of his best performances. I know what they were saying about the sort of cinema release because I think there was talk that his performance was that strong that he could have maybe potentially got a nomination out of it. I wonder if he's nom- if he's eligible for the Emmys if it's out on HBO. I don't know, but um, I think it's Sky Cinema over here in the UK. I think it dropped in the last week or so. So I think people in the UK are finding it now as well. But yeah, no, it was a very, very good film. And, you know, it's well, Hugh Jackman's great in it, but it's also a great film beyond that and got great support with the likes of Alison Janney and stuff like that as well. So what have you gone with for your number five then? Number five, I've gone with one of two films on the list, uh, which are perfect for lockdown, and it is Portrait of a Lady on Fire by Celine Sciamma, and this is one of the best sort of love stories of the year. Again, it's a film which technically I saw in 2019, but didn't get a release until 2020, and it is about a story of a artist who goes to a remote island to paint a woman uh, for a marriage portrait so that she can get married to an Italian monarch and during the course of sort of around about a week that she spends on the island trying to, to coax her into doing this oh by the way she's got to do it surreptitiously she's not willing to pose for the photo so her mum uh, has to get her to try and basically become a confidant and then she's got to kind of look at her and then go off in secret and, and draw this portrait of it and it's about the two of them sort of striking up a, a friendship which turns into something more and it's just one of the most sort of beautiful sort of tender sort of films it's very sort of similar in many respects to 2017 sort of call me by your name um to the point that i think i dubbed it paint me by your numbers um like the the final shot and stuff is very similar to call me by your name and things like that but it's one of the most sort of beautiful romances and yeah it's just an exquisite piece of filmmaking and it's it's one which did manage to thankfully find a bit of an audience and it came out sort of in tail end of february but I think did very well in Curzon Home Cinema as well. So um, I think this was on, was this one on your list for last year? Yeah, it, it hit top five. It was in the fifth spot as well. So yeah, this was a, a fantastic release for, for kind of people. I think it kind of came at sort of the right time as well. It got that brief cinema release sort of here. And I think that kind of good wave and kind of popularity in terms of reviews really helped a lot of people find it at the start of lockdown with kind of films sort of trickling out more than sort of flooding at that point. So I think this film kind of, you know, thanks to sort of the lockdown in a way, managed to find out a larger audience. And it certainly seemed like on my social media feeds that it was certainly one of the most popular films of, of lockdown. I mean, the performances from um, Adele Hanel and Naomi Merlin um, and sort of the leading roles were just absolutely stunning. So I, I was lucky enough to see it in the cinema and it was going to be probably the last one I saw just before lockdown. I kind of wanted to go and see it again in sort of the, the cinema. Unfortunately, that was that was denied to me, but I got the chance to see it again on um, movie, which was fantastic. And now because of their, their library access, anyone can sort of tune in anytime and, and watch that film, which is a fantastic treat. Oh, yeah. No, it, uh, this film was one of the reasons that I got... Um... Uh, movie. Uh, I did have a free trial last year, which it ran out, but it was one of the reasons which I uh, now pay uh, to access it. So, um, yeah, no, it's great. And yeah, like you say, they've added basically their full back catalogue of all the films which they've previously owned. So, if you're looking for a streaming service which offers something a little bit different, then we can heartily recommend movie and, of course, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, because we both had it at number five, just in different years. So, what have you picked as your number four? 
Yeah, this was a film that if anyone had asked me at the start of January or February if I even knew this film was going to be released, I would have kind of been completely surprised. And that is Lee Winnell's The Invisible Man um, at number four. So um, oh, I think everyone's now seen this film probably in lockdown. But for those who haven't seen it, when um, Salisa... Uh, Cecilia, played by Elizabeth Moss, his abusive ex takes her own life and leaves her a fortune. She suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being haunted by someone that nobody can see. So the last I remembered sort of hearing about The Invisible Man was when I think it was sort of Johnny Depp was due to play it sort of in this kind of fated dark universe, which is a, a discussion in itself for, for one day. Um <laughs> And I kind of never realised, I'd heard kind of murmurings about this sort of Invisible Man film coming out at the start of the year and I sort of, I wasn't really paying much attention to it. Like I'm I'm a bit hit or miss on sort of the Bloomhouse kind of films, I'll try and see some of them, but I, I don't keep up to date, you know, religiously with, with their output. And then sort of like, oh, Elizabeth Moss, okay, yeah, she picks good films by and large, this, okay, yeah, I'm open to this. And then sort of there was the flood of positive kind of reviews and, you know, critical uh, acclaim. And I was like, right, this film is, is more than earned my attention. I was going to see it anyway, but I'll be definitely there sort of opening weekend. So, yeah, I caught this one in the, the cinema and what a treat it was to watch a, a film like this with a with a crowd. Um, you know, this one is full of shocks and surprises. And I think that... It, gives it a really thoroughly modern twist by, you know, the invisible man is a gaslighting, terrible, abusive boyfriend. And I think the way that it ties itself into sort of a modern issue is what horror sometimes does at its absolute best. And when it's kind of lacking, it can be quite generic. And I thought the invisible man was was fantastic and Moss's performance made it easily one of the, the best films of the year. Would the film rank this high if life had gone normal this year? I'm not too sure, but I can't dispute that. It's probably one of the best films i've seen this year it's also one of the best films i've seen this year and i've actually got it at number three but i might as well continue talking about it now since you brought it up uh for me this was like you say it was one of those films which i wasn't really it was it was on my radar but i wasn't you know prioritizing i think it was coming out around about i think it was the same time as the glasgow film festival but um on the strength of like some really sort of strong reviews coming out of the states and stuff like that, I actually had to prioritize. I think like the first day, one of the first days I was down to basically sack off a, a press screen or something in order to make sure I caught uh, a regular screening of this. And this film just blew me away. I mean, Elizabeth Moss, I say, is fantastic. Her smell is a film which I still have not seen, but I know you rate it very highly, so uh, I do need to catch that during lockdown. But fantastic and likes it like the handmaid's tale and stuff like that and for fans of the handmaid's tale you will not be disappointed because there is indeed a shot where basically elizabeth moss looks very pissed off um while looking at the screen before a needle drop of a music track drops in and yeah she was great the 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 twist that they put on it by like you say having the sort of gaslighting villain um and all of it being more about you know the mental health issue of it, this woman is sort of knowing when not really knowing whether or not he's actually existing or not it's it's a really fascinating take the scares that are sort of put in there you know a couple were in the trailer but they still had a lot of punch in the cinema as well um there's one moment uh, in a restaurant which just killed my audience and is one of the reasons why i want to get back into a cinema to have that sort of communal experience of you couldn't believe what you were seeing it was just 
an incredibly shocking moment and it just played so well and you know I've waxed lyrical in the past I mean I think we did an entire episode on The Invisible Man and I talked about my love of upgrades so you know Lee Bunnell was always going to be a huge um, plus for me and it's, it turns out that he's been handed the keys to the uh, Dark Universe Kingdom and he's apparently in talks to direct a version of The Wolfman with Ryan Gosling in it so I'm keen to see kind of what take he would put on that, um, I'm, I'm assuming it won't be as simple as just a man gets bitten by a wolf and turns into a werewolf every full moon. Um, so very looking forward to seeing that. The Invisible Man is one which I really want to see again. I've, I've pre-ordered the, I've ordered the Blu-ray now um, for the unseen cut, the extended edition, which apparently is exactly the same length as the regular cinema edition. So what the difference is, I don't know. It's, it's probably, probably a, a headbutt, isn't it? <sighs> When Attack of the Clones got a 12A because of a headbutt or something like that. That was, what was it, a PG, something like that. I remember that headbutt in Spider-Man also got a, a higher rating because of a headbutt. You know, in Scotland, that's just a daily occurrence. I don't <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, Invisible Man, yes, very, very well. Highly rated for it and definitely worth checking out. Um, easily the best horror film of the year so far. Touch wood. We'll see what happens later on. Um, for me, number four was Parasite, um, uh, which is Bong Joon-ho's look at how greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. This was a film which everyone was raving about all the way back in Cannes 2019. Uh, it seems like everyone and their dog had seen this film before. I finally caught a preview about two days before it came out. Um, just before it finally won the Oscar for Best Picture, the first foreign language film to ever win Best Picture at the Oscars. And, you know, it seems like everything seemed to go wrong after that point. It was like such a great cathartic moment, and then everything started to go wrong. Although, it's at least it has to be said that in the UK, this became the highest grossing foreign language film, I think, of almost all time. I think it did over £10 million, which is... I think it was the first time since about 2004 that that had happened, and it was easily the highest grossing foreign language film since The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, all the way back then. Um, so crazy to think uh, how popular it was. People finally woke up to uh, watching some foreign some language subtitle films in the cinema, and now you can't watch anything in the cinema. I would love to have known what the final total would have been that if they had um, if it had continued its cinema run, what it would have got. I mean, I, I saw that today Curzon are going to be releasing in the next week or two the black and white edition into to cinema. So there's, you know, it could be potentially one of these choices. I think obviously in Scotland we've still got really no cinemas till the thirty first of July, but you know it looks like people in England will have the chance to to see Parasite. Yeah, I always love the phrase that you know I was almost doing inverted commas in cinemas um but yeah will the black and white add anything to it i know there's been a lot of discussion in one of our sort of facebook chat groups about people not being convinced um you know mad max Road, did it need it no logan i thought worked quite well in black and white so i've only i've only seen parasite the one so i would be keen to see it again so um you know if i'm looking for uh, something to tempt me back into the cinema that could be it I know I'm going to prioritise Empire Strikes Back and Blade Runner, but um, if Tenet gets shifted again, then yeah, Parasite might make it back in for another one. But yeah, no, this was a fantastic piece of filmmaking. I've been a huge fan of his since uh, Mother, The Host, Snowpiercer, Memories of a Murder, 
and yeah it's it's amazing that it won so many awards but didn't really get many acting nominations because the the, the cast across the board is utterly fantastic you think it's one type of film and then something happens and it does not go the way you expect I will just leave it at that because there's a chance that some people still haven't seen it. But yeah, it's definitely worth uh, checking out in colour or in black and white, depending on what you can get access to. So there you go. So what is in your top three? What's at your number three? Yeah, so my number three is a film that got its premiere at Sundance and is in cinemas this month in America, believe it or not, which I, I <laughs> refuse to believe, but will be on Apple TV from August 14th. And that's Boy State, sort of the A24 Apple TV film. So for someone that is a total mark for American <laughs> politics and coming of age uh, stories, this seemed like the perfect kind of mix for me. So the film follows a thousand teenage boys attending um, Boy State in Texas, coming together to build a representative representative government from the ground up from all different political backgrounds navigating challenges of organizing political parties consensus and campaigning for the highest office at boy state governor this is a film that you know i I was really interested at the start of the year when i heard about this film i was like oh that that sounds like my cup of tea i'd really like to see it and then when i sort of heard that it was going to be going to apple tv it was part of this apple tv a24 kind of joint partnership i was even more curious then on top of that, the fact that they had spent $12 million, which is astronomical for, for an independent documentary at Sundance, made me think there's got to be something really special about this film that they, they're spending that kind of money on. And um, yeah, I got the chance to kind of watch it just a couple weeks ago, and it's really struck with me since. So it has so... I don't want to spoil it too much because obviously, you know, people are still to kind of see this out large, but um, this was a film that shocks and gives you a lot of bit of hope for the future. You know, we think of such partisan times right now in America, and, you know, there's always this hope that, well, you know, the youth vote will, will help you see things through. We've got a really positive proactive generation coming up that are going to really bring around positive change for american and american politics and how can we get the youth involved watching this documentary makes me a little hesitant to see that kind of happen and you know it maybe says something about texas it maybe says something about the youth of america or kind of beyond that it's hard to say but this film was equal parts terrifying in terms of some of the these young boys kind of their thoughts on abortion women's rights gun control you're listening to these people and you you don't feel that they've got the strength of conviction in what they're saying it can be quite terrifying to listen to but then at the same time you've got some really wonderful young boys that are kind of you know they're going to be stars of the the future in, in politics or somewhere else and i'm excited to see where their lives and career go so yeah it's a documentary that i think will stick with people a hell of a lot and it's probably worth your probably bigger investment in maybe an apple tv seven day package or you know a month subscription more than perhaps the the new tom hanks film which seems to be getting a bit mixed reviews you know uh, thanks to you i was able to catch a, a screen of this one as well um i hadn't seen the train or anything to it and and when it started uh, i got the feeling that this was going to go completely lord of the flies and that once they sort of set the ball running and said all right here you're in these parties the adults seemed to basically back off completely and i thought it was all going to go horribly wrong but um, it was actually interesting to see just 
you know, the mix of people and the fact that, you know, they're not Republicans and Democrats, they're sort of federalists and nationalists and stuff like that, and they have to create their own policies and stuff. And you've got the people sort of taking it very seriously who really want to be in a Korean politics, and there's people sort of thinking they're auditioning to be leader of a frat house or something like that. So the, the sort of mix of characters is always something that makes for a good documentary. And yeah, it's like you say, it, it it's equally parts terrifying and inspiring and it's the kind of thing which I could see that if they did in the UK uh, you probably would have gone to uh, when you were at school <laughs> yeah I mean the fellow podcaster on this network Philip uh, who hosts uh, Time and Space I was like Philip surely you did Boys Day I'd never heard of it so I'm really desperate to speak with someone that went to a boys or a girls day um, I, I was just blown away by the bloody logistics of how like they get thousands of kids together and get these things kind of up and running it certainly puts like you know cubs and scouts here in the UK to absolute shame how they get thousands of people you know to kind of basically form a, a government in that time yeah it's um, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this one again it was uh, had had so much going on <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. and I think it's out. Uh, well, you like you say in cinemas in the UK in the US. I think it's July thirty first, and then on Apple TV from August fourteenth. So you don't have to wait too long to catch that one. Um, I've already given you my number three, which is the Invisible Man. So I guess I can go to my number two, uh, and it's my second lockdown film of the year, and it is Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse, uh, starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe as two lighthouse keepers, or wikis, who have to try and keep their sanity when they are stranded on board uh, an island with a lighthouse uh, for an indeterminate amount of time with only each other for, and a seagull and a mermaid for company. And yeah, it's shot in black and white, and it's sort of in uh, sort of the 119 aspect ratio old school sort of filmmaking by Robert Eggers and it is just the performances of Pattinson and Willem Dafoe together um, create just this thing and it it came out sort of in America and at the London Film Festival tail end of last year and was released end of January um, before lockdown was even really a muted thing and it just re-watching it this weekend for the A24 project um, coming soon and it is the perfect sort of lockdown film. It's also like the worst film you could watch during lockdown, but also the greatest film in the world as well. Because, yeah, it's it's nice to see who you identify with. I'm definitely a a Winslow, not a Wake. So, <laughs> what about yourself? Yeah, I rewatched that one. It sort of, it was one of my sort of last films. Sort of, you know, one of, well, one of the few films I got the chance to see in the cinemas this year. So, yeah, it was my number one film of last year, and I've kind of watched it a few times since. I saw it again in the cinemas in February, and I've kind of watched it another once or twice kind of since for sort of the podcast and my own enjoyment. And yeah, I I still think it's just an incredible piece of work and um just you know we recently just finished recording it so if, if anyone wants to hear kind of our further thoughts on that definitely check out the the next week's episode of the a24 project but yeah that film is a a masterpiece and um yeah i haven't got around to kind of you know putting a, like a, a dog leash on someone and walking them <laughs> around sort of my local park yet but you know another maybe 10 days in isolation and a couple <laughs> more bottles of vodka and we could probably be looking at that Absolutely. So we're getting quite near the top ten. What have you got as your number two film of 2020? So my number two is just released last week, sort of on um, VOD in America after a short spell in cinemas before the lockdown, and that's First Cow. A loner and a skilled cook have travelled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon Territory. 
um, through he, uh, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortunes. Soon the two collaborate on a successful business, although its longevity is reliant upon the clandestine participation of a nearby wealthy landowner's prized milking cow. So this was a film, you know, in terms of First Cow, where there was quite that little bit of buzz about it at the start of the, the year. I really wasn't too sure what to expect from this cow. I mean, it is the titular kind of role. And I, I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, seems like my kind of cup of tea. Okay, I'm interested. And then when it got announced uh, kind of about a few weeks ago that it was going to be kind of, the cinema run was going to be short, obviously, and it was just going to be sort of going on to, to VOD, um, I decided to sort of put up the 15 bucks because I was like, I think I'm going to love this film. And that I did. Um, I watched it on Friday night. I had, you know, household to myself, you know, a bit of mood lighting, you know, a nice dinner, you know, a glass of wine. And I dived into this film and I was really struck by it. And I'm, I'm not going to play my hand too much in terms of what I, I really liked about it because I know you still to, to see it. And I think I I'm, I'm, don't want your experience to be tainted by it at all. But, you know, the, the film starts in a very interesting way. And what happens in that first five minutes of the film, you forget within seconds because you're kind of caught up in sort of this the tenderness of this film it's an incredibly relaxing film and it's sort of like if the lighthouse is your nightmare of what lockdown is something like first cow is kind of there to comfort you a little bit you know i didn't realize what my mental state was like until i was watching a bit where i was watching a man milk a cow and talk really calmly to it and get a little tear or two in my eyes and the film is incredibly relaxing until it's not relaxing so um don't ever just think that you're going to be in a positive space the whole time watching watching this film. But yeah, this this is a, a lovely film, and it's it shows what cinema can be. It's something that is just, you know, with Kelly Reichardt films, she is really good at distilling things down to its kind of most base level, and I think this is her absolute finest film. And it was just one I I would have loved to have seen in the cinema. I just thought it was it was so special and one that more than lived up to the hype, which I was worried it might just kind of fall a little bit short of in the run up. Has it turned you vegan? Did uh, you fall in love with the cow enough that it means you're not going to have any more burgers or steaks? <laughs> I I can't promise that, Dallas. Uh, <laughs> but it's definitely made me want to have the oily buns that are kind of the uh, the go-to food in this film. So yeah, oily cakes, that's the one. So yeah, uh, it's definitely not got the Okja vibe in terms of trying to turn you into something else. But it's maybe more sort of a film that makes you think capitalism, that's bad. So um, yeah, I'm going to rail against capitalism while still enjoying, enjoying a burger. Absolutely. Oily Cakes, available from the A24 shop soon. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is a film which I'm really looking forward to. I know it was one of, it was my top pick for what I wanted the uh, Glasgow Film Festival surprise film to be. I think it, it premiered at the Berlin Film Festival, so I thought there was an outside chance it might have made it to Glasgow, but it didn't. But um, I'm not going to wait for uh, a UK release date, because there is none. Uh, it hasn't got a distributor here yet, so I'll be waiting a couple of weeks and then renting it from the US Apple iTunes store. So I'm very much looking forward to that one, I think. Um, so back to me, for me, to release my number one film of the year. And it's a film which I saw last year. I had a very strong reaction to it. And happy to say it, my reaction was equally strong second time round when I managed to see it at the cinema. And then even on the third and fourth viewings when I watched it on Netflix as well. And that is the Josh and Benny Safdie film, Uncut Gems which stars Adam Sandler as Howard Ratner, a 
New York jeweller whose debts are mounting and angry characters are closing in and he risks everything in order for hope of staying afloat and alive. We both saw this at the London Film Festival. This was a surprise film um, and Lee almost jumped up and screamed for joy when uh, the introduction mentioned the fact that it was a couple of filmmakers had filmed an introduction for this film and he knew it was Uncut Gems uh, because this was the one we really wanted to see. It lived up to the hype. It, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it because, you know, there's probably some people who still haven't seen it, but the ending made me jump out of my chair and scream, what the fuck, I just couldn't believe it. And it's a kind of film which you wonder, is it going to have the same impact second time round? But thankfully, it does. It's just, it's still, like, the tensest, most uncomfortable viewing experience which I've had in cinema for such a long time. Uh, for anyone who is still moaning about Adam Sandler and his terrible comedies on Netflix, this will turn you around. He is just absolutely sensational in this. It features one of the best performances from a basketball player of all time. KG is just brilliant in it. It's got wonderful supporting turns from people who the Safdies just found on the street, like Julia Fox. And I think it's uh, is it Keith David Richards or something like that, who plays um the, the hired goon who is uh, Howard's nemesis, essentially. Um, and it's yeah, it's just an incredible piece of filmmaking. The soundtrack is fantastic, and yeah, I love this film. I loved it so much that I even made my own board game during lockdown. That's how much I loved it, and I know you loved it. And I think it was your number two, was it of twenty nineteen? Yeah, it was thin margins between that and the lighthouse. But I just felt the lighthouse was just such a. I edged. It was just such a unique vision that it, it, you know, it's it was thin lines, but yeah, the lighthouse just trumped out against uncut gems. But it was a last minute switch between the two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the, the 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 two of them are almost equally good, and it, it could come down to basically which one you sort of watched last, where you where you rank it and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I mean, we've done an entire episode on, on Uncut Gems, so, and you can easily go back and listen to it to get our full views on that incredible viewing experience. But uh, since that was on your 2019 list, I'm assuming you've got something maybe a little bit different for us at the top of your 2020 list. What have you gone for? Yeah, so edging out into to number one is um, Eliza Hitman's Never Really, Sometimes, Always. So it's about a pair of teenage girls in rural Pennsylvania who travel to New York to seek out medical help after um, an unintended pregnancy. So this was one of these films that at the kind of start of lockdown, you know, the indie kind of films, there seemed to be a decision a lot of them made of like, do we hold out hope or do we sort of put out onto VOD, you know, charge a, a little bit of money and kind of hope for hope for the best and find, you know, a larger audience. And I think you see that in films like um, Never Really and things like The Assistant, where maybe we've got like a week or so at sort of the film house it might have got a little bit of buzz and you probably would have not seen much follow through for a good few months. Uh, but something, when you see that these sorts of films probably got that larger audience, it seemed to kind of do really well in the assistant as well. I know it's like the iTunes UK film of the week as well this week. These films got more attention than they had probably ever could have imagined that they would have received sort of going through the conventional route. Now that's not to say these films shouldn't be shown in cinemas, it's just that they've managed to make a success of, of lockdown and I still think I would love to see this film in the, the cinema. I mean the, the central performance by Sidney Flanagan I think it's the best performance of the, the year so far in terms of new films that I, I've seen I should add. Um, but yeah, 
it's one of these things that just boils your blood the american kind of uh, health system and you know everyone knows all about how kind of unfair and unequal it is but when you watch this film and see how it affects you know a young woman um you know pregnant vulnerable it's it's quite shocking and so on and um yeah i would i would highly recommend people kind of check this film out it's it's powerfully acted fantastic direction you know it's it's what indie cinema does and it does incredibly well yeah no i caught this one as well and i had it in my uh top 10 and yeah the, the central performance is is absolutely stunning there's she's it's 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 a performance where it's someone who puts up it tries to to put as brave a face on things as possible but slowly is like you say is broken down by this system in, in america and there's a scene where she has to answer a questionnaire before she's able to go through with a procedure and it's one of the most sort of heartbreaking scenes i've watched this year that was the, when it really sort of hammered home because you know it's it's one of these indie films that like you say it would not have probably got a huge release and stuff because I mean, you could potentially argue that not much actually really happens. You know, she she goes to, tries to get an abortion here, can't switch, goes to New York and has to spend a couple of days there waiting to, to get it. And it's it's really just about following this one person, but thankfully the, the central performance lives up to it. And it's like a, a, the, like the flip side of, of a film like Juno, which is sort of played full, very full of warmth and and laughs and stuff like that and this is a much more realistic version of what a young girl would be having to go through in, in if faced with a situation like that i think yeah it's 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 such a, a shocker and so on and it makes you kind of grateful i mean we certainly have our flaws here in the uk that you know and you know i'm sure many women can probably relate to some of the things that would go on here but I'm so glad that we're, you know, we're not America when it comes to, to health and so on. And, you know, hopefully that means that we've just got a, a few less kind of people going through the same situation that she goes through in this film than they, they do over there. And um, where it seems to be more common and a lot more partisan in terms of how people view sort of pregnancy, abortion, you know, places like Planned Parenthood. It, it doesn't feel like it has that sort of political division here in the, the UK. Um, it, it feels more like an outlier th- thankfully at the moment in terms of our politics yeah and it's i mean it's no mistake that the to the the best films which have been released over here and in america on on vod recently have been this film and also the assistant which are you know all both written and and directed by women and their films which need that sort of female perspective and that female voice to to tell them properly and and it really sort of shines through and i think like you say i think it's Certainly in America, The Assistant is uh, the film of the week. It's sort of 99 cents, and you can't go wrong with that. And um, I think never really, sometimes always, is actually quite cheap to, to rent in America as well. But you can also get it here in the UK, and they're both uh, highly recommended by us. I think, yeah, Assistant would have been just outside the top 10 as well for me as well. So it's uh, another recommendation. But that that brings us to our list. So, yeah, um, only a couple of crossovers there, actually. Uh, well, there would have been a lot more if... Uh, you know, 2019 and uh, 2020 have been combined together, I'm sure. But I think, uh, aside from the Five Bloods, uh, Never Really Always, and The Invisible Man, yeah, we've we've given you a lot of food for thought and a lot of uh, so some more lockdown viewing since uh, it's going to be carrying on for a few more a few more weeks before we're able to get back into the cinemas. Um, but you know, we always like to to recommend uh, something else. We've given you some recommendations for films, but maybe we've got some recommendations for other things. So, Lee, what is, have you picked this week to uh, give a shout out to our listeners? 
Yeah, so on a cheery note, I've been really hooked on the Slow Burn David Duke podcast. So it talks about his sort of history rising through the Ku Klux Klan and his attempts to sort of get into American politics through sort of conventional elections. So yeah, a, a really disturbing listen, but a fantastic sort of series if you're out there sort of getting your daily fresh air and maybe want to kind of, you know, escape one form of a horrible kind of world for for another one. So, yeah, a really fantastic sort of mini-series that's going on at the moment on Slate. Excellent. Yeah, uh, David Duke, I remember him well from Spike Lee's Black Klansman as the man who failed to to realise that the guy on the phone that you've spoken to was a black man. So, yeah. But uh, for me, I am actually going with a book recommendation this week. You know, I work in the library, but uh, I never have the time to, to read enough. But uh, I'm try- I've made a commitment to try and read a few new books uh, during lockdown. And the first one which I've picked um, want to recommend is a memoir called Coming Undone by Terry White. Uh, Terry White might be familiar to, to film fans as the editor of Empire magazine. And this is her memoir just sort of come out in the last week or so. And it's about um, a really sort of open uh, book about her struggles with mental health and, and sort of uh, abuse that she suffered in the past. Um, you know, it sort of starts off with her sort of talking about uh, a suicide attempt and stuff. And it's really sort of interesting in the fact that um, she is talking about, it's it's unflinching sort of look at her life you know she she was she moved to, to new york to work at Time Out and stuff like that it seemed like she was living the dream life but she was uh struggling with it and it's just a fantastically really well written uh book and it's yeah it's something that i think that even people not in the film industry and stuff it's a fantastic memoir it's probably the best memoir i've read since michael j fox's lucky man actually a lot of these sort of celebrity biographies or something like that are sort of sometimes ghostwritten or people write with them and it, it can become a bit of a puff piece but um you know she's completely bare and open and honest about her life and her struggles and stuff like that and it's just a, a fantastic piece of writing and i can i can't recommend it enough so yeah coming undone by terry white yeah so. i read a, a brief extract from it in the the guardian and yeah really quite quite a shocking read and so on so yeah definitely one that um will appeal to to a lot of people and yeah it's yeah good honor with the success because it's it must have taken a lot of courage to write that absolutely and, and yeah if, if you're thinking oh well, maybe i want to read that like you say um lee he'd read it there's an extract on the guardian um uh, which is available online and yeah it's it's just a small sort of taste of the book but i think uh I think if you read that, you'll you'll definitely want to read the, the full thing, so you can check that out online as well. But um, we're going to be back soon uh, with some more films. You know, it's I think we've been doing pretty well actually, to be honest. Lee. You know, we're was it four months into lockdown, and we've still been able to come up with an idea for a weekly episode of this podcast. I really thought we were going to struggle after a sort of month. Actually, no. To be honest, I thought after a month or two we'd actually be back in cinemas. I didn't think it was going to last this long. But yeah, I think we've been doing well so far for uh, coming up with some content. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll be, of course, hopefully if we do get back to cinemas at the end of July, we'll have an episode about what it's like to go back to the cinemas after lockdown. Who knows if we'll get to review Tenant soon. But um, if I don't know if there's any ideas that you would uh, like to see us talk about, you know, let us know on 
social media and Lee, you know, if people want to send you an idea, you know, where can they find you? Yeah, you better get in touch with our ideas because we could be scraping the barrel soon because it could be like our favourite YouTube stars or something <laughs> like that. But no, you can find me on Twitter at Lee Hutchison underscore. And you can find me on Twitter at DallasKing1138. And until next time, stay safe out there and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Welcome to Nerd Party. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.